Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the RV Texas Y'all podcast. I'm Stacy. I'm Tom, and we're RV Texas Y'all. We are native Texans and full-time RVers who are all about exploring the great state of Texas and beyond one campground at a time. We're on a mission to experience life, not just live it, and we want to bring you along for the fun. Believe it or not, this is already episode four. Wow. <laughs> this week, we are going to introduce you to our great friend, fellow RVer, Texas master naturalist, and park volunteer, Ranger Tom Shaughnessy, who's going to, we're going to let you get to know him a little bit because he's going to be sharing some of his fantastic knowledge with us in future episodes. Our Texas tidbits this week, I'm going to have some fun with flags and talk about the 31 <laughs> flags over Texas. 31? Yeah, you never know. And in the ABCs of RVing, Tom's going to talk about C for controller. So sit back, relax, and join us as we RV Texas, y'all. week's Texas tidbit, I thought I would channel my inner doctors Amy Farrah Fowler and Sheldon Cooper from The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Let's have some fun with flags. In seventh grade Texas history, we learned about the six flags over Texas, and no, I'm not talking about the amusement park chain. There are six recognized flags that have flown over Texas during its history, some of them twice. The flags of Spain, France, Mexico, the Republic of Texas, the U.S., and the Confederacy. But it might surprise you to know that there are actually more than 25 additional flags that have flown over Texas and played a role in our history. Many of these flags have a lot in common. Several, several have vertical stripes like the Mexican flag. Several others have horizontal stripes in a union similar to the U.S. flag. And a whole lot of varieties featuring a lone star. So let's start by talking about that lone star that is now one of the most recognized symbols of Texas. The first flag to fly over Texas that featured a large single five-point star was the flag of the Long Expedition. In 1819, Dr. James Long recruited 300 citizens who paid him to come to Texas. They occupied Nacogdoches and declared the Independent Republic of Texas. Now, mind you, this is 1819, 16 years before the Texas Revolution. Long's followers made their stand in return for the promise of land, and their flag was similar to the U.S. flag, with alternating red and white horizontal stripes, but featuring a red union in place of the blue, and a single large white star in place of the smaller multiple stars. Historians consider the Long Expedition flag to be the first Lone Star flag. Now, before we talk about some of the more obscure flags of Texas history, let's talk about a few that you might be familiar with. Let's start with the flag from the Battle of Gonzales, or you might know it as the Come and Take It flag. 
1831, the Mexican government provided the people of Gonzales with a small cannon to protect themselves from attacks by native tribes. As tension mounted between the settlers and Mexico, the Mexican government sent soldiers to retrieve the cannon, which they now feared would be used against them. The troops were met at the river by volunteers from all, all over the area who challenged the Mexican commander to come and take it, and that became a rallying cry. The 1835 come and take it flag from Gonzales is a white flag featuring a black cannon and in some cases a lone star above the cannon with the words come and take it. Also in 1835, the provincial government adopted the 1835 flag for registered civil vessels. This flag has the green, white, and red vertical bars of the Mexican flag, but 1824 replaces the eagle on the white bar. This flag represented Texas's allegiance to the Mexican Constitution of 1824, which was roughly a mesh of the U.S. Constitution and the Spanish Constitution of 1812. The 1824 flag is said to have been one of five official flags beyond the Texas national flags and also one of five flags that flew over the siege of the Alamo. At the March 1836 convention at Washington on the Brazos, Texas leaders adopted the first official flag of the Republic of Texas, mostly known today as the Zavala flag. This was a blue flag featuring a centered white five-pointed star with the letters T-E-X-A-S between the points around the stars. Some historians believe that this flag was designed by Lorenzo de Zavala, the first vice president of the Republic of Texas. As companies of volunteers came to Texas to support the fight for independence, many of them brought flags celebrating both their home states or towns and Texas. Some examples, the Morgan flag from Pennsylvania, the Burroughs flag from Ohio, the Red Rovers from Alabama, and perhaps most notably the New Orleans Grays. Designed by East Texas ladies for the New Orleans Grays to thank them for joining the fight for independence, this blue flag featured an eagle and sunburst with the words, First Company of Texan Volunteers from New Orleans and the motto, God and Liberty. Historians believe this may be the only flag still in existence that actually flew over the Alamo. It is said to have been captured by General Santa Ana and may still be somewhere in Mexico today. So now let's talk about some of the more unique flags of Texas. The Demet flag or bloody arm flag of 1835 is a white flag featuring a red arm and hand holding a bloody sword. It was designed by the commander at Goliad and raised over Goliad upon the signing of the Goliad Declaration of Independence in December of 1835. This was the first declaration of independence from Mexico. The flag is said to represent the sentiment, I would rather cut off my right arm than live under tyranny. Others believe it might have been inspired by the Texas Navy who were familiar with similar European symbols. The most recent unique flag for Texas is a county flag that represented the sesquicentennial of 1986. Joy Dale Wolfram designed a blue flag with a large white star on the left half and county name and formation on the right. The star is surrounded by white arcs containing 254 small stars representing the 254 counties of Texas. 37 of those small stars are gold, representing the counties created during the Republic of Texas. 115 red stars represent counties created between statehood and the Civil War. 91 blue stars, counties created after the Civil War but prior to 1900 
and 11 green stars for counties established during the 20th century. So yes, when it comes to historic flags, Texas has a whole lot more than just six. in the ABCs of RVing, we're talking converter. Well, yes, like last week, we talked B for batteries. The C converter fits right hand in hand with your batteries. Converter is just like it sounds. When you plug into shore power, which that's a future topic, when you plug into shore power, you're bringing in 120 volts AC, which is alternating current. Well, your batteries put off 12 volts DC and operate a lot of lights and stuff. But as you plug in, your converter takes over and your batteries no longer are needed as long as the converter is working fine. And the converter converts it from 120 to 12 and that 12 volt will run things like your lights and the things we talked about last week on your RV. Well, it also has another function too. The converter also takes care of uh, charging your batteries as you're plugged in too. So now it's powering all the 12 volt stuff in the RV and it's charging your batteries. So it's a very important function. Little story on this, it was kind of crazy. Just this week, our next door neighbor, I see him out at their pedestal. And so I go out and I ask them, hey guys, what's going on? And they're like, we don't know. Our lights and everything are dimming in our RV. And and uh, we we don't know what's going on. We're losing power. We're trying to see if, uh, you know, the, the power here at the pedestal is on. And, of course, the power was. And I said right away, because we I was just studying all this stuff, too. I said, oh, gosh, you got a problem with your converter. I said, what? I said, probably your converter because your converter's not working properly or not working at all and i said i bet your batteries are about dead and they said yeah it shows a third power on the batteries so i was like that's exactly what it is and you need to either charge those batteries if you have a charger or you need to figure out what's going on with your converter because your converter should be charging your batteries when you're plugged in here and obviously, since your lights are going dim, it's because and your batteries are low because you're not getting the power through the converter. You're getting them from your batteries, and it's going dim. And sure enough, they checked. Their uh, breaker was tripped on their converter, went in. They fixed that breaker, and voila, they had power, and... They were extremely happy about that. It made their trip go a lot better. So, you know, just remember, converter means convert the power from the shore to power from your, for to 12 volt power from like your batteries. So you don't have to rely on your batteries when you're plugged in and get the added bonus 
of charging your batteries too when you're plugged in to shore power. This week we're excited to be introducing a brand new segment called Get Outside with Ranger Tom. Ranger Tom Shaughnessy is an experienced outdoorsman with roots as a kid exploring the rivers, lakes, and woods of his hometown, Richardson, Texas. Tom's an Eagle Scout and a former Scout leader. Today Tom's an active volunteer in his community and continues his passion for the outdoors through volunteering at Stephen F. Austin State Park in San Felipe, Texas, and through his local Texas Master Naturalist chapter and his church. He's vice president of the Friends of Stephen F. Austin State Park, a Texas certified master naturalist, certified interpretive guide, and certified by the American Canoe Association as a kayak trip leader. Ranger Tom is also a Leave No Trace trainer for the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics. He maintains his love for the outdoors based from his home on 11 and a half wooded acres in New Ulm, Texas with his wife, Brenda. He and Brenda are avid beekeepers. They offer honey sales, beekeeping consultation, hive rentals and supplies to local landowners and businesses. Ranger Tom also hosts Airbnb experiences in the New Ulm, Texas area. Welcome, Ranger Tom. We are extremely honored that you will be joining us to help bring the outdoors to all the folks listening. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks, Stacy, for having me. Actually, um, it's my honor to, to participate with you guys, and uh, not too many things I enjoy doing more than uh, sharing the great outdoors uh, with other Texans, with other folks um, around the world. Um, and especially this time of year when uh, things are coming to life out there. So I look forward to seeing what we have in store, uh, not only today, but in our future episodes. Oh, absolutely. We can't wait. You know, before we get started, Tom, maybe we should tell, actually, other Tom, <laughs> maybe we should tell folks how we met Ranger Tom. Well, you know, mine and Stacy's very first trip out in our travel trailer, when we first got a travel trailer, was to Stephen F. Austin State Park, and two great friends of Tom's, and ours as well, uh, Dewey and Donna, were our next-door campers to us, and they were park hosts there at Stephen F. Austin, and we, we didn't even know what that was, but we instantly became friends. They kept telling us, oh, you got to meet Tom, uh, their good friend Tom, and they said that Tom, at the time, he was running the... Uh, uh, Friends group. Friends group. Yeah, yeah, he was the president of the Friends Group for Stephen F. back then. Tom, you want to, Ranger Tom, <laughs> you want to yeah. share a little bit for folks who don't know what a Friends Group is? 
Sure, absolutely. You know, it's uh, funny you mentioned too, guys, how how we came to, around to meet, and that is just one of the neat things about uh, you know the outdoor community and state parks and RVing and uh, you know just groups outside is the camaraderie that we form and the, and the new friendships that we make. And this was many, many, many years ago, and we've managed to uh, do some camping together and a few tailgates together. And uh, you guys have accompanied me on some of my uh, nature hikes at Stephen F. Austin State Park. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a neat deal. Um, well, back to your question, um, friends groups are, are quite common. Uh, libraries have friends groups. A lot of nonprofit organizations, our friends group is a nonprofit organization, typically that supports uh, an entity that serves the public. And those who have spent time in state parks uh, probably have um, come across friends groups or opportunities to hear more about them. In the case of this Friends of Stephen F. Austin State Park, Friends Group, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, and our mission basically is to support the park through fundraising and volunteer activities. We actually help uh, pay for certain capital improvements in the park, whether it be something on the nature center or some trail work or in addition to some signage, things along those lines. And they also organize activities to enhance the park uh, visitation experience for the visitors. And, you know, that is one of the things, uh, Tom, that we've always been so amazed with you is the time that you put in to the state park. And and not just the park. I've never seen anybody volunteer more time than Tom. It's it's really (laughs) phenomenal. Uh, Stephen F. Austin State Park has been so fortunate to have Tom and Brenda uh, be there and really support that part. We joined the uh, we joined the friends group of yeah. Back when we had our house, then. that was one of our home parks. Yeah, right after we met Tom, of course we had to join. I mean, right when we met John, or, uh, <laughs> John. right <laughs> right when we met Tom, I ought to know that name since that's mine. Right when we met Tom, we were instant friends. And, you know, I remember one of those very first camping trips, or it wasn't, it was one of our tailgates. And and Tom came, and he brought the cast iron, and he made some pineapple upside-down cake that I still miss. It was phenomenal. That's why we do more Dutch oven cooking today, Tom, because of you. Well, thank you. I do. I remember that fondly. You know what else I remember too, you guys, uh, and it just came to mind that we're uh, right here. What we're talking way back when, when you were getting started with RV Texas, y'all videos on YouTube on your channel, y'all did a, a wonderful video segment on restoration of the park after I forget which one. There's been so many, a couple of the major floods events that that have happened out there. So thank y'all for that. Oh, and and you know that was. That was definitely our pleasure. Anything we can do to help the parks, you know, we're always excited to do. But, but uh, yeah, you, if you've seen that video or if you remember that video, if you've been with us for a while on our YouTube channel, you might remember seeing Ranger Tom on that video because he did participate in that as well. And you may have seen him uh, more recently this past summer. He met us when we were camping at uh, South Shore Park on Lake Bastrop. Oh, we did some kayaking We did some together. kayaking with That's Ranger right. Tom. That was a lot of fun and very memorable, right, Tom? Absolutely. That's one I won't forget. (laughs) So, so Tom is like our go-to for all things nature. When we're not sure, you know, what we're looking at when we're out on the trails or whatever, 
Tom always knows uh, what it is and, and helps us uh, learn more about the outdoors world around us, which is one of the reasons he was one of our first calls when we thought about doing a podcast to participate uh, on an ongoing basis. Um, Tom is a master naturalist. Now, Tom, do you want to explain to folks what that program's all about? Sure. Thank you. Uh, the Texas Master Naturalist Program is a statewide program. Guys, it's um, actually managed and put together uh, through Texas A&M and um, a couple of other entities, too. But Texas A&M and Texas Parks and Wildlife are the primary backers for the program. It's a, uh, it's a group of, uh, I'll just call it educated and informed volunteers. Um, we also that, that go out into the public and perform volunteer activities in the forms of outreach, um, education, uh, service work, things along those lines. Uh, a lot of the state parks that you have visited uh, may have a friends group nearby. Excuse me, I'm getting off on the wrong group. The Certified Natural Naturalist Projects going on out there. There are, um, oh golly, about 80% of the counties in Texas have a master naturalist representation in them. Uh, the, the crew is over 12,000 certified Texas naturalists in the state. Wow. So we, we have a pretty good, yeah, pretty good coverage and uh, you'll come across them. They have some larger projects, places like Katy Prairie Conservancy uh, down in the Katy area has a lot of master naturalist activity. You'll see them around quite a bit, but one of the neat parts that I like about it is it's ongoing. There, there's initial training, uh, 12 weeks of training that we go through, and then there's the volunteer uh, requirements for where we uh, get to participate, contribute 40 hours of volunteer work, and then continue training each year in order to maintain the certification. Wow. So it's a lengthy process. It is, and it's ongoing, and it's ever-changing. Uh, this past year, obviously, we, there were a lot of challenges. So much of the training that we did were, uh, you know, was done online. But it's really neat to get online with uh, some of these college professors, biologists, herpetologists, all kinds of ologists, and, and, <laughs> and, and stay, up to get, stay up to date on, you know, what's going on in our natural world, um, even go so far as to give pointers on how we as volunteers can share these experiences with park visitors or with, um, with children in a school, uh, things along those lines. So it really is beneficial and uh, sure, it sure is rewarding. That's awesome. That is really cool. Well, we also, you know, you're an interpretive guide. And for the people that don't know out there, I mean, what, do you, what does an interpretive guide do? That's a real good question, and I would venture to say that everyone in our listening audience today uh, has encountered an interpretive guide in some form or fashion. Some of the more common places we see them for those who aren't visiting our state natural national resources, state parks such as that, might be a museum. Um, there are certified interpretive guides at museums, at zoos. Um, even at libraries, the uh, certified interpretive guide programs are run by the National Association of Interpretation, which is actually an international group. And um, it, too, involves uh, quite a bit of training and to achieve certification as well as testing that goes along. And there's different levels of certification for those who uh, want to pursue higher levels. Um, but for the most part, um, interpretive guides, uh, we're the ones who uh, provide the tours, through the facilities, uh, invoke discussion with visitors and guests um, in those type of settings. Uh, our, our job is more to interpret and to invoke whether uh, instead of to educate. 
So you'll find that particularly in a, I'll, I'll just vouch for our, my state park professional interpreters are employed by Texas Parks and Wildlife. They put together an interpretive plan with a method and a theme to actually connect the audience into the topic or the theme of their activity. Um, Created relationships with the particular park or what it is that they're talking, what they're uh, in, involved in, whether it's meetings, uh, cultural world, natural world, uh, past, present. Uh, we kind of reveal these kind of things um, through experiences. Uh, it's better to uh, you know, be to shown something and, and smell it and feel it if it's something that was tangible um, through exhibits, um, even acting. The the period actors that we might see at a living history farm, you know, that's a form of interpretation. Okay. Yep. We've seen so, those at sure. some yep. of the parks. Mm -hmm. So a certified interpretive guide would, uh, would have the ability to plan those type of events and to lead them effectively. That is really cool. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then of course you also lead kayak trips. Now on your kayak trips, what types of places do you like to go? I do. Um, I have organized trips that I do, and we might touch on this later through um, Airbnb, but I'm an avid kayaker. I enjoy kayaking. My wife and I uh, purchased a tandem kayak many, many years ago, and prior to that, I, I had a solo kayak. And when we bought, funny story, when we bought our, she's my favorite kayak partner, when we bought our tandem Good kayak. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't always end up that way. Uh, when we bought this tandem kayak, the guy says, are you sure? The salesman at the kayak store says, are you sure this is what you want? And uh, he, he had actually had a couple that returned their camp, their tandem kayak, and they wanted to name it the SS Divorce. Because these two just couldn't, they, they couldn't paddle on the same side. They were zigzagging down the river and blah, blah, blah. So uh, we enjoy flat water paddling. Uh, we live in an area between the Brazos and the Colorado River. There's plenty of lakes. And, uh, of course, both rivers, Colorado, Colorado River specifically, is a great paddling destination. Um, but I also spend a lot of time down on the Texas coast uh, fishing and paddling around in our bays and on the uh, paddling trails around in the Gulf of Mexico. Sounds so like fun. It, yeah. it is. It is. It, it really is relaxing um, paddling of any type, whether it's a kayak, stand-up paddle board, uh, uh, canoe is, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of neat equipment out there. And I encourage anyone who, even if you're around a facility where there's rentals, to try it out and uh, see if it's right for you. You never know where it might take you. Yeah, we got to get Stacy up on one, one of those stand-up paddle boards. <laughs> yeah, he's been trying well, to do that for years because he knows I have no balance. So we know yeah. how that would turn out. <laughs> that's why that's why they make rentals. These They have inflatable stand-up paddle boards. They're called SUPS for short. And they're very, very buoyant. You almost have to, you would fall off it before it tips over. Okay, well. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the same goes for many of these fishing kayaks that are on the market now. One of my kayaks is actually 37 inches wide, and it's designed to stand up in while you fish and do your casting and looking for fish in the, um, in the clear waters, too. Uh, Texas just offers an unlimited number of possibilities for paddling adventures, uh, whether it's fishing or sightseeing or birding or what have you yeah, well you know cool. what i like about it too is you get a whole different perspective of the area you're visiting from the water than you do from land sure absolutely yeah yeah did y'all know that there are in texas alone there are over 3700 named streams wow yep there's 15 major rivers 
and 3,300 miles of tidal or shoreline that uh, that are all available for us to paddle on. So wow. my challenge is for all to, for all of us to do all of them. Oh. <laughs> yeah. We better get busy. Yeah, we better get busy. Well, there's uh, what 90? No, I forget. There's a goodly amount of um, uh, paddling trails in the state that are managed through cooperatively through Texas Parks and Wildlife and local local municipalities. And uh, one of them, um, I would like to, you know, they're they're just about everywhere. Well, they are in every part of the state, and it seems like they're adding more and more quite regularly. And I would almost like to set a personal goal of trying to hit as many of those as I can. There are people who try to visit all the state parks in a given state, um, or you know, they'll visit all the historical markers, or visit every county and find a bird. But to be able to paddle each one of the Texas paddling trails, I think, would be pretty neat. That would be an amazing accomplishment. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, on to another subject. We mentioned it earlier. I mean, you're definitely, you do a lot of stuff with Dutch oven, and you're an awesome Dutch oven cook. Uh, are we looking at some possible future podcasts here where you can get some tips and tricks and maybe some of those great Tom Shaughnessy uh, recipes? Boy, I'd love to. <laughs> does, uh, does your podcast system, are we able to do smell a cast yet oh, see, that would pod. be awesome wouldn't it yeah, we'd, be, we'd, we'd be cutting the we'd be cutting the listeners short but no i really would love to there's a lot of um you know standard standard equipment that we would re- can be reviewed things that we should go through the must-haves the do's and the do not do nots that'd be and then, good uh, you know maybe just maybe take it a step further um other types of outdoor cooking uh and scouts and i still do it today we do a whole lot of we called it silver turtles uh, foil pack cooking. Oh yeah. Oh, we love doing that. Yes. Yeah. 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 And sure. there's, uh, oh my gosh, in the RV world, there's a lot of folks who are off grid that are doing solar oven, solar cooking. That's a good point too. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, matter of fact, tonight I'm going to cook on a plow disc. It's a, we call it a cowboy walk and I'm cooking inside out, uh, egg rolls tonight on an outdoor walk, which what, is made out of an old. What time should we be over? Uh, <laughs> let's see here. Well, we'll be done. I'm, 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 if you hurry, there might be some left. You know, I mean, we're only what two and a half hours away. I'm sure we can make it work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, there's a lot of possibility. I'll be more than happy to to uh, talk about food. Who doesn't like food? Awesome. Oh. Awesome. One of my favorite topics yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, you do the honey. Now, you want to tell folks how you and Brenda got into honeybees? Oh, sure, sure. It's uh, it's an interesting story, but uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. We lived in a subdivision, and we were trying to figure out a way how we can sneak a honeybee hive into our backyard, even though it was against the deed restrictions. And we never did get that far, although uh, we've always had a fair amount of pollinator plants so we can attract honeybees, excuse me, and other pollinators, butterflies, uh, solitary bees, uh, native solitary bees, things along those lines. But at the same time, we were making the move on our next trap in our life, which was to buy rural property and build a home on it, which is where we are today. And so guess what? No homeowners association, no deed restrictions. <laughs> and, uh, yep. Uh, we immediately, the, one of the first things, actually our house wasn't even finished yet. We enrolled in a beekeeping school um, in Austin, which is about two hours from where we live. It was an all day um, affair. And we went through a beekeeping 101 class. We ordered our honeybees from a local honeybee producer 
bought some beehives and uh, we set up beehives in our apiary, which is a apiary is a, uh, I guess a bee term for a bee yard or a place where you have beehives. And that just grew and grew today. I'm up uh, well over 20 hives now, which isn't real big from a beekeeping standpoint, but it's uh, enough to keep us busy. And we get a um, fair amount of honey every year, enough to where more than we can eat. So we sell and give away a lot. And uh, today, what it's led to is um, uh, one of my services is I do beekeeping services for other landowners out here who either A, need mentoring or would like some mentoring, uh, B, needs some hands-on assistance, or C, all they want are, are hives on their property so we can make arrangements to uh, place beehives on their property. So That's really that's really cool, and your, bee, your honey is phenomenal. We got to get some more next time we're with y'all for sure. Oh, heck yeah. But the one other thing I wanted to bring up, because, I mean, this is something I don't really understand. This is kind of new to me and Stacy. is what the heck is an Airbnb experience? I know I'm an old guy, but I have no idea. <laughs> it, Airbnb, well, you're you're not that old, Tom. You know about Airbnb, right? Well, we've heard we've heard about bit. Airbnbs. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Airbnb experiences, and I encourage anybody just go go online Airbnb. You don't need an account, and kind of look around. And I stumbled upon it myself um, as an opportunity for again, to help uh, share my enthusiasm for the outdoors and at the same time, uh, a little bit of a revenue stream for us. But an Airbnb experiences are um, similar to Airbnb hosting places like like lodging. Um, but what we do or what experience hosts do, it's a one-of-a-kind activities and uh, which are hosted by, you know, local quote-unquote experts and we go beyond kind of the typical tours of the classes. Uh, we do so by immersing the guests into our unique program. Um, in my case, I do geocaching as one of my B&B experiences. And I also uh, lead a kayak trip on the Colorado River, a little six-mile trip, flat water down the Texas paddling, Columbus paddling trail in, in Columbus, Texas. Um, you don't need to stay at an Airbnb location in order to book an experience. You book it just like you would uh, anything else. But what's beneficial to both the guest and to the host is that we're covered by Airbnb um, policies, which means I'm vetted. I didn't just go put my name on there. I had to go on there and submit my experience in order for it to be published. And I had to meet their standards as well. So that, that holds true to anybody who's hosting. But you'll see. Anything on there from uh, long hikes to online cooking experiences to pub crawls to short hikes, fishing. Um, there's quite an array of experiences on there, and these are worldwide. Gosh, that is great. I had no idea that it, until you mentioned it, I had no idea that it, that existed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yep, it's, it's, I, y'all take a look. I don't know, Tom, well, if, uh, if we can put a link on your podcast, um, you know, down below. Uh, for those kind of things. But, oh, I uh, think we probably can. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, we okay. can do that. Um, okay. And so, because every one of the episodes, we always include on our website uh, kind of our show notes where we link to things that we've talked about in the episode. So we'll be sure to, to put that link in there for folks. Because, yeah, I think that's fascinating. Super. Um, yeah, we just sign up just like you would for make a reservation at a hotel, and I'll meet you out there. There you go. Awesome. awesome. And we talked about you're going to do some uh, 
You're going to talk about Dutch oven cooking and things. What other things are you or types of information are you thinking about sharing in future episodes, Tom? Well, we certainly would like to hear from the listeners, but um, there are some some programs that I think would be interested in doing, uh, some information I'd like to share. I uh, mentioned geocaching. Uh, that's a neat outdoor activity for families, individuals. Uh, we can touch on Leave No Trace for those who are not familiar with the seven principles of Leave No Trace. There's some really neat information in there. It's not a set of rules. It's a set of principles that I think would be, uh, It's you, we see LNT, um, oftentimes on our experiences or on our trips out to state parks, national parks, things along those lines. Um, interpretive programming type creatures of the night. Um, we can go so far as to talk about different ecosystems that we might find in different parts of the state. Uh, four, we have eight eco regions, four separate uh, larger regions in our state. Just uh, anything and everything. I like to talk too about activities, family activities that we can do uh, while we're in the outdoors, whether it's outdoors in your backyard or maybe a trail at a state park or along the riverbank or even at a beach. So um, I'd like to hear from, from uh, the listeners too, what they'd be interested in hearing, but uh, the sky's the limit. That and, is uh, awesome. Yeah. I tell is. you what, I'm really looking forward to it. Me I think too. this is going to be a ton of fun. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that you want to add today, Tom? Uh, I want to thank you guys again and uh, for, for having me on. I look forward to seeing what we have in store for the future. And uh, I, d I would like to share just one thing in closing. I, this morning I had the wonderful opportunity to lead a hike for seven folks from our small community here in Austin County. We went out to Park Prairie Park on Lake Fayette, which y'all did a video on in that area too um, earlier or late, latter part of last year. Um, but I asked the group, there was only seven of us. I asked the group one of the things that they took away from our little two hour hike today. Um, and here's what they had to say. And these are the types of things that I hope that uh, you guys, the listeners can take away after their time spent outside. Uh, one fellow said that he really enjoyed the birds. The birds that we observed today were typically winter residents of the area, birds we may not see in the spring or summertime, uh, waterfowls, beautiful ducks. Um, it was raining when we started. This is number two. We decided to push forward anyway. And after about 10 minutes, the rain let up. And actually the sun started to come up. My point here is that uh, you got to just get out and do it. We could have easily not gone at all. We could have called it a day, gotten on our cars and go home. But uh, this is a group of, um, I'd say, older folks in the community. And we decided to um, push through and everyone was so excited that we did. And we didn't uh, decide to head back home. And uh, lastly, with everything going on the last, uh, well, it's almost 12 months now uh, with COVID, it was, the comment was made how nice it was just to get outside in the fresh air, no masks, uh, we've, we stayed our little distance apart, but um, just to have a good time and enjoy the camaraderie and the fellowship together. So that's the message I'd like to leave today with the listeners is to um, encourage everybody to, you know, get outside. Uh, you don't have to be with Ranger Tom and, and uh, see what the good world has to offer for us. I look forward to sharing more on future episodes. Absolutely. We are really excited. Yeah. Thank you again, uh, Ranger Tom, for joining us today to share more of your experiences. Y'all, if you're listening, I can guarantee he is going to have some fantastic stuff for us in the future. So make sure if you're not already subscribed that you hit the subscribe button on your favorite uh, podcasting app. And, uh, you know, hey, we look forward to it. 
and I think it's going to bring a lot to our podcast. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for joining us, y'all. For more on what we talked about this week and to find other episodes, visit the podcast page of rvtexasyall.com. Subscribe to the RV Texas Y'all podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to join us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RV Texas Y'all. Until next time, safe travels. And happy camping. Bye. Bye.